Uh, welcome, welcome, wait. Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. I'm Brad. I'm Brad. Brad is back. Have you seen that movie, Ben is Back? I've always been here in, in your heart. That's, but have you seen that movie? And in spirit. What movie? Ben is Back. Is no, that, is that like that. addiction movie with Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts? Yeah. Is, is this a recent? No, yeah, it came out like last year. I'm not year. a movie buff like you. What's the most recent movie you've seen? Um, That wasn't on a streaming platform, the most recent? No, we can just uh, go with we... like literally the most recent movie you watched. Probably The Irishman. Oh, did you finish it? Uh, I think so. What what did you think? <laughs> I haven't even finished it, dude. I watched an hour of it, and I was like, I'm good. I liked it. I didn't think it was like that bad, you know. It was. It wasn't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was just all right. It was just all right. Yeah, it wasn't bad by any means, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have like an overwhelming desire to finish it. Did you ever see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, that um, I did really enjoy. Yeah. I enjoyed that too. Do you think it's like Oscar worthy though? Was that yeah, definitely. Does he not have an Oscar already? That's a good. I don't think so. That's a good question. He might. I don't know. He, yeah, if he doesn't have one, I mean, he's only making ten movies. That's what he said. And what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I think that's like number nine. His, his yeah, really? Yeah, it's his I ninth. It he's got one eight. more. Did you hear that he was thinking about doing um, Star Trek? Yes, dude. He wrote, I, I want that to happen. And so it's, they still say it like, because he wrote, or he got like a, a script written for it. and every, I, I just want to know what, there's still a chance apparently that his story, that they might do it or something. I want to know what it is. Like, just well, tell me. Yeah, I want to see that script, dude. <laughs> I'm sure it's nuts. Like, I'm sure it's dude. good. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, it's probably good, but I could see why he wouldn't want to do it, because it's his last film, and I think he wants to have full uh, creative control, and I don't know if they're going to let him do that with Star Trek, but if they did, it would be awesome. It's it's like, you know, him, I, I, oh yeah, everyone <laughs> would go see it, that's the thing, like, it'd be so, like, or just imagine, like, we I played this this imaginary game of, like, imagine if, like, Michael Bay got to make a Star Wars movie. Or just, like, these ridiculous auteurs to make, like, mm-hmm. beloved franchise movies and how bananas they would be. Well, I feel like Quentin Tarantino, as far as our auteurs go, I mean, there's not really a lot of them left. And I think he's on a different level you got than it. probably most of the current... I don't they, know who else would be in his Christopher contemporary, Nolan, I guess, like... Darren Aronofsky. I don't know. There, there's, like, I don't know. there's a short list of people that that movie studios literally just give them a check and say, all right, do what you do, and they have final cut rights. So you got, like, Darren Aronofsky, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Spielberg, maybe, but he's not even, like, daring. James Cameron, I don't know. The first person that popped into my head when I thought of an auteur was um, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. That's, yes. And and I think he's, I would put him more on the same level with uh, Quentin. And now you've, other guys you mentioned. 
now you've got David Eggers, the dude that did like Hereditary and um, Midsummer and The Witch. He's getting there. He's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, he he does. I wish he would. Well, I guess he's got his own style. I was gonna say I wish he would do something new, but wasn't that the uh, the movie we just saw? Wasn't that by him? Yeah, uh, Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, the one where. Who was the, who did the oh, one where we the, the lighthouse? lighthouse yeah. Who did um, that? Um. Shoot, that's a good question. It might have been. He did say, "Hold on, I'm, am I like blurring lines here?" Who directed? What do you mean blurring lines? Um, it, I'm I'm wonder if I'm confusing. Yeah. Okay. Robert Eggers did the lighthouse. So yeah. So that's what I was saying. Like I, I was gonna say he didn't change it up, but he definitely changed oh. it up for that. I'm I'm tripping. No, Ari Aster is the one that did uh, Midsummer and Hereditary. Robert Eggers did The Witch and Lighthouse. Um, oh, I thought it was the same guy. So no, that's no. an easy mistake. Uh, Ari Aster, though, he said his next one's probably going to be like a comedy or something, because <laughs> like, he's like, I need to take a break from doing weird, scary stuff. Is he the one that's doing? Which ones did he do? Hereditary and Midsummer. Okay, I didn't see Midsummer, but yeah. It you you like... haven't seen that yet? Huh. Dude, that <clears throat> is all up in your wheelhouse. Dude, those movies like kind of honestly scare me because of the Me too. They're too Well, I think that like there's a demon like enveloped in it and that when you watch it you're just basically saying like come at me and then like, you know, now you're back on your depression meds. Why aren't you okay? We're not gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna go tit for tat on that one. If we're gonna talk about doing things that are inviting demons, inviting demons. Well, I, I you know, I'm not saying I don't invite them, but I just, I know, just say that you got to leave by nine thirty because that's when my mom comes home. Right. I'm like, you can come chill, but like she said, you can't spend the night. Right. I get it. Yeah. Dude, the, the, the older I've gotten, and I don't even have kids yet, but the older I've gotten, I realize now how much of a tall order it is that, like, as teenagers, when we were like, can so-and-so spend the night? It's like, dude, I totally get that now, why some parents are like, well, I mean, like, no, dude, I've been at work all day. I don't want some strange, smelly 16-year-old all up in my space. Yeah, dude, he's probably going to go through your shit. And like, then you got us, yeah, who would just like end up robbing you. Yeah, that's like not on. Uh, are you I mean, looking forward to? Are you looking forward to your daughter inviting over people that are going to rob you? Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll have like lots of guns by then. You know what I mean? Yeah. How how many do you have now? Why well, the legal amount is zero, so I'm not gonna. I'm still trying to get the felony removed. Yeah, how's that? How much is that going to cost? I, uh, yeah. Well, like if I want to get if I want to get it if I want to get it done anytime soon, probably something like a thousand. But I'm trying to get the public defender to help me with it. Public pretender. Hmm. Wasn't that the old the jailhouse insult? Public pretender. Public, de- yes, public pretender. Yeah. They just don't care, dude. They don't even answer the phone when you call. Dude, because they, they don't have unlimited minutes, dude. Those phone calls cost money. 
Right. They're still. Then you leave a message. Yeah. Back. How's the uh? What's up, dude? How's the the job thing going? Oh, uh, I'm not really looking for a job because I'm afraid to look. You know. Because I don't, I can't honestly tell you why I can't. Part of it has to do with uh, no accountability. And I mean, there's some genuine, there's some mental health things going on. So I'm really banking on these guys being able to help me um, at Community Empowerment. I'm just waiting on a call from them. Wait, what is that? Well, it's that they offer for people that have Medicaid where they provide counseling and access to the physician and i think some other stuff too oh so um, so you've already seen them or what yeah I saw, I saw them the first time and what they they asked me a bunch of questions and i told them the deal i actually didn't tell them everything well i probably should have <laughs> but i told them that i was like too afraid to you know talk to the the sales attendant at you know the gas station. If if I don't know, it's very weird, dude. Because this is what you know that if you if you wanted, dude, you could go get Louisiana Rehabilitative Services and get like a full scholarship to anywhere you want to go, any trade school, any regular university, any kind of like thing you want to do, they'll pay for it. I didn't know that. I thought I told you that. I don't remember you telling me that. Um. But that sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're that, that, that. you're like me in that you have like addiction and mental health stuff, so like you double qualify. Yeah. Well, once with me, dude. Once I get, uh, once I stop, it's really hard for me to start. What? Like I have to keep a momentum going, or else like I start to fear things. It's very, it's it's a weird thing. My self confidence goes down. So, like, wait, well, once I'm you stop, what, what? What are you talking about? I'm talking about um, just the fear that I have of going out in public or doing things. You know, oh. uh, applying myself. I I get it's it's very tough. It is because because it it's weird because you used to be like a workaholic and you were working like 70 hours a week and like you know what i'm saying that's a weird i just kind of realized that, that that's a weird pendulum shift well yeah and, and, and i i i value that experience because i know that i mean i don't want to do that again <laughs> if i don't have to and the fact of the matter is like that's pretty much i mean that's that's probably going to be a reality um and so i want to make sure that what i do choose to do is the right thing and that is where you know i have the issue because i get so caught up in this big picture that i i i i it, Everything just seems impossible, you know? I can't, Yeah. like, I can't find the next step. Well, so if these, <clears throat> if this, like, community resource people, if they, like, prescribe you medication, are you going to take it? Um, <clears throat> yeah. 
I'm going to tell them exactly what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but they, there's, if they don't call me back by the time I get uh, my tax return, though, I may, um, I may leave and go stay with my mom in South Carolina for a little while. I think she actually just she yeah. lost her job and she's going through a divorce. So, oh damn. I don't know. Well, yeah, how'd she, she lose her job? Um, she let her emotions get the better of her. She had a bad interaction uh, with Jerry, and you know she went into work, and I guess she just felt like she couldn't deal with it anymore, so she left. Oh damn! Well, I mean, they weren't really paying her a lot. Where was know? she working? Um, I'm not sure the name of the place, but they do, you know, exercise classes and a little bit of physical therapy and that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, that'd be, I mean, that'd be either way, either, either option I think is viable or a combination of the two, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping they call me back. I met them. It's been two weeks. What they have to do is. I should have told them more bad stuff because they have to present your case to Medicaid and then Medicaid has to approve it. So, yeah, you should I don't have, you really should have, know how you should long have that taken takes. the gloves off, man, and been like, this is what is going on. Yeah, I don't know. If I really needed that bad, I should just go and check into the mental institution, you know? Yeah, I'm not opposed <sighs> to that either. But speaking. Yeah, but. You get some weird people in there. Yeah, you do. You do. I know. That's it. literally the last episode I did was about a, a, a horror story of checking yourself into a mental institution and she couldn't check out. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily advocating for that. But um, today we're talking to Josh Rogie about a new book on shame. Well, that sounds interesting. I know. I bet that'll be good. It is good. It is a really good interview. So you people enjoy and send me an email. You people, I don't like the sound of that. So you congregation enjoy and uh, send me an email at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs and merch at storefrontier.com slash churchandotherdrugs and give our Spotify page a listen if you like the music you hear. Brad, tell the people goodbye. Um, bye guys, and I, I think that they should be called You Sheeple. They're your congregation. <laughs> That's and all it's right. really a compliment. It's my flock. No, Sheeple. Sheeple. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> You're taking it back, you know, all making right. it a positive. I'm trying to, <laughs> That's, you always got to put a spin on it.
so Josh, Ro- is it Raji or Rogi? Why do I always? Oh, funny. It's the third option. It's Rogi. Is it really? So I'm it way is. off. <laughs> I forgive you. It's it's doesn't pronounce the way it looks. Josh Rogi. Okay. So yeah, I totally mispronounced it last time. Uh, I forgive you. Yeah. Thank you. Good. 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 Josh Rogi. So what's up, man? Oh man, just uh, got a book coming out soon. I'm stoked on. Can't wait to share it. I know. How did? How long did it take you to write a book? Oh, that's a loaded question, all right? Because when I first started writing, I thought I was just doing maybe blog posts or something like that. And then um, partway through, I, I initially planned on doing some self-publishing and then decided to take a shot at actually getting it published through an actual publisher. So I sent it to them, and that delayed it and everything as well. So it's been like five years in the works. Jeez. Did, did you find an actual publisher? Yeah, it's going to be published through Choir Publishing, which is spelled Q-U-O-I-R. Dang. All right, so what's the, um, before we get into the meat of the book, I want to hear some like yeah. insider stuff, because I've always, I still, that's one of my eventual goals, is to try to uh, write a uh, memoir of some sort, or a book, or something. Oh, um, yeah. So what's that uh, process like with sending them to publishers and all that? How's that yeah. work? So it's probably a little different than other people because I already had a full manuscript when I had sent it out. Um, I didn't have to write up a proposal and stuff like that. Choir is kind of a, a smaller house. Um, so they their website actually is really convenient. It, it walks you through this whole um, process of like, hey, give us a one-sentence pitch of your book. And then the next screen is give us a one-paragraph pitch of your book. They kind of like almost teach you how to to propose it. Um, so, you know, and then through that whole process, once I finally submitted it, they had it under review for a few months and then I uh, accepted it and told me they wanted to move forward. And then we had it pushed to actual editors. Um, you know, I had a bunch of beta readers and stuff like that. And they, uh, then, you know, picked it apart, gave me a bunch of critique and then I rewrote it for about the seventh time. Um, <laughs> Which uh, was, a, you know, I was I was starting to get more tired of my book than I thought I was going to. Oh, I'm That's sure. That's the thing they don't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's like music or anything you work on. You just get so sick of it. What were any of the? Um, so wait, so the other way to do it is people just write a proposal and they try to get money before they even write the book. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, yeah, I think that's probably more typical for like already established writers. Oh um, yeah, like Stephen know. King's like, all right, dude dog who's a vampire i need seven million dollars <laughs> right right yeah you got it. You got it. <laughs> i'm no stephen king but yeah i imagine that's about how it works for him okay so was it like scathing the the edits they made you like what, what were were any of them you were like dude screw you guy this is awesome <laughs> um i felt a little bit that way at first uh i mean honestly at the end of the day all of the suggestions that they had made I can see the validity to them, mm-hmm. uh, but my my gut reaction was definitely like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, nah, you just don't get it, or whatever." But but honestly, they were so good, and and honestly, the book is just it's so much better than what it was with previous drafts. Yeah, uh, they they really helped me um, give it more of a like a narrative flow to it. Yeah, man, that's how. So how long is it? Uh, in printed form, it'll be about 220 pages. Uh, okay. That works out to about 50,000 words. 
Yeah, that's manageable. I think that's my. That's always my. I'm like, oh, a novel's got to be X amount of pages mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's doable. Um, <laughs> I like it's that easy. Oh, dude, it's just <laughs> pages, no big deal, dude. I could do that. I could do that right. in my sleep. Um, so how does it work with like? Obviously, you don't have to get into like numbers, but how does money work with that? With like getting your book published? Are they? Is there like a? Uh, we're gonna? Is it just? Well, yeah, you just tell me. So I'm still kind of learning, actually, because they're a small publishing house and it's uh, they do a, like a print-on-demand model. So okay. it's not like there's a um, – I, I don't have like a run of 10,000 books that are going to be printed all at once and we're just going to hope they sell. Gotcha. Um, so it's a little bit different than if you went and published through, I don't know, like a tour or something like that, something that you know is out of New York City and has 10,000 employees or whatever. Um, so ask me again in a month and I'll, I'll gladly let you know what I find. Yeah. So is it going to be in like stores and stuff or it's just going to be, or how's that work? Yeah. So, um, it, it comes out February 11th, shame and unconventional memoir. Um, the easiest way to access it will be Amazon. There'll be printed copies through Amazon as well as of course, Kindle. Um, you can order it through Barnes and Noble as well. Uh, but you probably won't find it on a bookshelf in Barnes and Noble. I've I've done some scouting on uh, some of my colleagues who have published through Choir, and it looks like unfortunately they don't have them on hand. Uh, but you can order through Barnes and Noble and probably any other bookstore as well. I would assume. Yeah, and it's cool because isn't aren't printed books kind of like vinyl? Isn't there kind of like a renaissance now? Or am I making that? Am I just pulling that out of thin air? I could have sworn I read that somewhere. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. Um, I don't know if it's quite as a dramatic comeback as vinyl. Yeah. Um, but if I remember right, I read somewhere that digital books peaked in like maybe 2013 or something like that. <laughs> and it's kind of uh, slowly swinging the other way again. A lot of people who love reading prefer to have the physical copy just like the vinyl. There's something... Well- yeah, and I kind of screwed myself because I read a study basically that concludes like reading things digitally. Actually, so the rabbit hole I was going through was like I that's how I read Bible verses is like on my phone. And okay. I was like this feels weird. I don't know. It just felt weird. And there was like a study that came out that says basically to that effect that like you don't process there's something your brain does something differently reading it on a digital screen. Like it kind of lumps it into all the other information that you're scrolling through as opposed to like, there's something you're, it's kind of, I think it's the same thing as like you, when you take a picture of something, your brain automatically knows, I don't have to remember this because it knows that there's a saved copy of it. So you're, you were, that's why like recording concerts, you're literally going to remember it less. Interesting. I know, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. It's, it's your your brain knows that you have this this artificial intelligence, this second brain, and so it's like, okay, I don't need to remember that because you you saved it over here, right? So maybe something like that. But I can see that. I I mean, I've, I'm not like a snob where I'm going to judge anybody to read any particular way, but I always prefer physical copies. I have a whole library of physical copies. I think yeah, and I think I'm into audiobooks now too. Obviously, with podcasting, are you going to do a record an audiobook? Yeah, I'm planning on it. We don't have a, a time frame for that yet, unfortunately, but that's something that'll come down the pipeline as well. It's it's just too popular of a medium not to do it. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, you should try to hire like Samuel L. Jackson or someone to do it. <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll review what the budget looks like, but that would be awesome. <laughs> Shame, an unconventional motherfucking memoir read <laughs> yeah. by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the 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 ink and the paper, the meat and the potatoes of what this is about. So I I uh, very much vibe with shame that's that kind of my story my upbringing too especially around sexual stuff being raised in um not uh conservative christianity i guess we'll call it um so yeah that definitely piqued my interest so what's uh what's going on with it yeah totally i i really wrote the book in such a way that you know it is my story and i try to hit pretty much any topic that that could have created shame in my life and of course um, sexual shame is, is definitely a component of that. Uh, for me, so I grew up, um, what I say is kind of puritanical. Uh, my parents were raised Mennonites and... Oh, wow. Okay, and that's, yeah. that's Amish, right? Uh, it's close, yeah. yeah it's, it's like a cousin to Amish. Amish is an offshoot of, of Mennonites. Um, so they're not quite as, like, isolated, um, but they are still very much to themselves. Like, you're not going to come across a Mennonite who refuses to talk to you or something because you're not you know, Mennonite. Oh, okay. Well, but it's very similar. If you if you had to condense um, Mennonitism, what's the plural or whatever? <laughs> if you had to condense the beliefs of the Mennonites, what what is it? Um, it, it is highly conservative. It's very um, simple, I guess you might say. Like they they do use electronics, um, so it's different from Amish in that sense. But they um, don't have a lavish lifestyle. Even the clothes they wear are not like bright clothes and stuff like that. They don't, even the women don't wear hardly any jewelry or anything like that. Um, one of the main theological views that they have is pacifism. Uh, that's a maybe kind of unique thing. Otherwise, it, it is a lot of just kind of conservative Christian beliefs in, in terms of the rest of the theology. So, no, um, no weird. Is it closer to like your standard theological beliefs of like uh trinity any like weird salvation theories or or is it basically just you would just consider it just you know by straight read bible reading um beliefs i guess nothing too weird as far as i can recall i i mean i was a kid when we stopped going to a mennonite church so i don't know all the ins and outs of it but uh, it, it's it's really just highly conservative and nothing too bizarre. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, all that to say, um, we when we left that church, we really left because uh, my parents had uh, they were separated, so they um, kind of they didn't like formally get excommunicated, but they felt uncared for. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so we ended up they they did reconcile, fortunately, like maybe about nine months later, but. Uh, we ended up just going to another highly conservative church that was a Nazarene church. And all that leads to me not having really any sexual education of any kind. Yeah. Uh, I never even got the birds and the bees talk. Um, me neither. Yeah. Hey, to, there you well, go. to, to my dad's credit, he tried and I was just like, Nope, <laughs> we're not <laughs> doing this. Did you have the, um, see, we had the, the, it was a, a Wednesday night when, this lady came and took all the all the girls' moms Oof. came and they went with this sex educator lady and all the 
all the teenage boys and their dads went to this other room with this male sex educator and they just gave us the birds and the bees talk in like in mass in this room and it was (laughs) with your dad just imagine like the entire youth group of like we were i don't know 12 13 11 12 13 and just having a, a mass sex talk. And that's that's when I famously, because it was one of the most embarrassing moments in my life when he started, the guy said something about masturbation. And previous to that, I'd only heard, you know, jacking off or terms like that. And so I just raised my hand and I was like, what's masturbation? And like, oh, dude, yeah. the, all the dads in the room lost it. Like, right. cracked up laughing. And I was like, what? Dude, I can relate to that so much. I, we we didn't have anything quite like that, so I didn't even get that type of uh, training or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have a story I put in the book about how I was in, I think maybe like sixth grade. I was about 12 years old, and I was at a public school then. Went to a Mennonite school until fourth grade, switched to a public school. And uh, you know, I'm in the cafeteria, and these guys around me are talking about um, – Britney Spears, of course, because that was when I grew up. Yeah. And they're talking about how she, uh, it, it was just bullshitting, you know? Yeah. They're talking about how she had a certain number, a quantity of cum in her system that they've read some article about. And I thought they said gum because I didn't I even know what cum would be. So, and I was like, she's a she's bubblegum pop musician so we're talking oh about bubblegum for some God. reason so i'm like man that's a crazy amount and, and they're like you don't even know what that is and i'm like we're not talking about gum what are we talking about here <laughs> so uh that i had so much embarrassment around that that you know yeah it's funny now <laughs> it is dude but it's it's devastating then it's just it's just like the whole uh finding out that you're the odd man out is like so devastating and then like you know and like especially that age like teenage boys are so evil and just like oh you don't know what jizz is like right yeah 11 uh yeah come on like like you guys acting like like you're getting laid or something yeah they don't know what it is either (laughs) that's why south park gets it so right with like the sixth graders versus oh dude yeah so so often gets it right (laughs) good stuff okay yeah so yeah Continue. so that i mean that that takes you to maybe you can relate to this you know i i didn't know that purity culture really had an, an impact on me until later in life i i lost my virginity in my early 20s uh, before i was married to a woman who was married but estranged from her husband and did you know uh, that i did i did i i made a string of poor decisions. Mm. Um, she also, there was like a, another guy kind of in the equation that like both of us were vying for her affections to be her boyfriend or whatever. And somewhere along the way, I just, I guess because I had no, I had no sexual experience and I had very minimal relational experience of any level. So I just, I was like, she likes me. I like her. We're going to make this work. And, um, I felt, um, especially considering she was more experienced than me, I felt as if uh, there's no doubt that there's something that is unique about having sex with somebody else. It creates a unique bond. And I was just like, well, I can't compete with people you've had sex with, so we should have sex. And Mm. she was like, yes, that's a great idea. (laughs) She was totally on board. It wasn't a hard sell there. And um, we, we did. And, you know, very soon afterwards, that's when like the wheels fell off. 
So and I, I want to hear because now I want to contrast and compare. So yeah, how, sure. how did you feel after your first time? Do you remember like your immediate emotional feeling? I think I felt like the way sitcoms treat it, the way you're supposed to feel, like probably playing off of that, I was just kind of like, hell yeah, I did it, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like we made it. I'm a man now, you know? I was probably like 22. Yeah. Dude, see, I, I, <laughs> so of course the immediate, the immediate reaction was I, I called all my friends and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And after I got off the phone with the last one, dude, I started crying because really? I was like, God has forsaken me now. Like I have done yeah. the worst thing because in my mind, and I had like you know experimented with drugs at, at that point. Like yeah, I hadn't gone full blown, but I you know I wasn't. I was still sinning, but for some reason that was the apex of mm. sin, and I was like, oh, I've really done it now. Like, yeah. I, yeah, it was it was awful. It was. I'm imagining really like awful. it sounds like you were raised somewhat similarly to me, and and you think about how much like identity is tied to sexuality that it, it's just. It feels like another level from any other mistakes you might have made. So I, I didn't feel that way that soon. But as soon as, like, it was just a matter of a couple of days where it became clear that this relationship wasn't working out. And I was still, I guess you might say, like, fixated or obsessed and all of that. But I was like, okay, well, at this point, we've had sex. So we got to make this work. Like, yeah. we're, we're yeah. getting married, like, yeah. ASAP, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah, Most people... if we get married, then it doesn't count. That's a loophole. I right. Think. Yeah, exactly. Loophole. Exactly. But then I ran into this problem where the, the person I had sex with didn't want to get married to me. So oh, no. like, you can't well, make them, right? I mean, I guess you got to kill them, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come to that conclusion. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I missed out, but. No, I mean, so that just uh, caused me to kind of spiral with this shame thing and and did, create a pattern of depression too. Did you think that this is what I deserve in my sin? I was kind of in a weird space with God anyway at that point where I was like, I don't really feel you. I don't see you there. Um, so I don't know if I fully felt that way just because God was so lacking in presence anyway mm, um yeah. at the time uh i i guess to some degree i kind of did because i was kind of like well if this isn't happening then uh there's nothing for me you know uh see i, I maybe that's where i differ too is because i and i still struggle this at like a cognitive level but it, like if when god like i'm I had the mindset of like, when God is distant, it's because of something I'm doing. It's because mm -hmm. of the sin. Of, you know, I heard that all growing up that like, right. oh, if you've got sin in your life, then like God can't come in and all this stuff. And so it was, it was, it was really, and I think I was too afraid of God to put that on him. So it mm -hmm. was never like, where are you at? It was like, oh, what is wrong with me that he's not here, that I'm not feeling him, you know? Right, right. So I think I still struggle with that. Like I still... You know, if if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'm good. And if I do C, D, and F, then like, oh, here come the curses, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. I think I got, I don't know if it's luck or fortune or if um, I just am maybe a slightly different demeanor, but I never really felt condemned to hell, even though that was kind of, that would kind of align with how I was raised. I, I've 
felt as if God's grace would, you know, probably be enough. Now, let me actually jump back. That's not true. I did feel what you're describing in my younger years, uh, more like middle school yeah. and, and early high school. Uh, but for some reason, that didn't stick with me as much into early adulthood. It, it more just was a, a wondering of like, is that stuff even real? Yeah. No, and I and I think with with me and and other people, it's it it was absolutely like it's probably symptomatic of my mental mm-hmm. illness, like depression, anxiety, right. and all that. Like it's that's just what it latched onto. Right. When ironically, those were all the like all this religious stuff was the the trigger for my depression and stuff like that. At that time, at that stage, I was because I fucked up. You know, I'm like, okay, well, that's not working out. But I already you know, gave away my virginity and I, that was put at such a high value. So I guess, uh, should I consider consul- killing myself now? With, I mean, I, I never, to paint it fairly, I never really got to a point where I was about to do it or anything, but it was on the table for options for sure. Oh, and that's, that's an idea. Like I feel you on that, but that's an idea that like to, you know, some of my, you know, um, some of my listeners that is just so foreign. It's like, you know, that's a definite, I think, product of, that's definitely where religion can cause harm. I have to Mm -hmm. say the fact that you were debating killing yourself because you gave away your virginity. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally feel you. (laughs) Like I relate. It's like, yeah, Yeah. man, you know, your, your apples got too many bites out of it now, dude. You're just going to get a core of your wife. You're done. You're over with. There's no coming back from that. You can't, no, you can't rebuild that apple. Can't unpickle or yeah, you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. So you're done. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly it. And, uh, I mean that hung with me for, it was like a, a full year. I would say that I was getting over that, you know, thankfully it didn't, uh, scar me forever. Yeah. So, so where did shame take you after that? Um, from there, uh, so at that point, you know, I, I fortunately ultimately found myself in a healthy relationship with my now wife, uh, which is not without its flaws, but it certainly is nothing, you know, like that type of thing. And, and really it kind of took us to a moment that became the catalyst for writing this book, uh, which was um, we were, you know, we got married in June of 2012 and not a month later we had a miscarriage mm-hmm. and, um, it, it was, we didn't plan on getting pregnant at all. She was on birth control and everything, uh, which in hindsight might have even been part of the cause. But um, you just made uh, hundreds of men shudder in fear whose, right, whose girlfriends right. and wives are on birth control. It's not 100%. Life finds a way. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, but it, it created this weird thing in me because we were so young and newly wed and all of that, that, um, at the time, I didn't really, I wasn't fully aware of this, but later kind of analyzing it, I realized that I actually was almost maybe happy that the miscarriage happened. I was relieved is the right word uh, because I didn't feel ready. How and, old were you? Um, let's see. So I would have been 24. Oh, that's young. Yeah, 24. Young. And, and like I said, I didn't have a lot of uh, relational experience so we kind of figured you know we would be married for maybe like two or three years before we even tried having kids yeah Um, what were you doing as like a career at that point I was still in school I didn't go to college until um I was 22 so 
uh, you know, I was about halfway done with school and, you know, working as a barista collecting debt. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So perfect time to have a baby basically. Optimal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's probably something that is extremely common and less talked about mm-hmm. is it's, it's kind of akin to like people that have uh relatives or anyone with like a terminal illness that's been struggling when they finally pass it's like you know i'm happy they're not suffering but now i feel like shit because i'm happy and it's you know what i'm saying it's it's there's a lot of a lot of stuff surrounding that and weird guilt and this like perceived this is how you should feel versus how I actually feel. And I guess you kind of figure out that you're really just supposed to feel however you feel. There's no fucking right answer. Right. No, that's exactly right. And it made it difficult to, um, you know, properly care for my wife's emotions too, because on the one hand, like she went through the, the physical aspect of it as well. It was very early on. So, um, there like, we didn't even know she was pregnant until it happened. Uh, fortunately, if, if there's any good fortune to that, it, you know, could have been worse, but, um, all that to say, she, um, has always wanted to be a mom, you know, so there's still that like disappointment and stuff like that. And then since then, you know, we've had multiple other miscarriages, uh, just med- medical, um, obstacles, I guess, and stuff like that. And all that to say, it's like, at the time I was kind of selfishly just like, Oh, we dodged a bullet. Yeah. And so what, what about the, the, um, the ones past that since then? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certainly no relief aspect or anything like that. Infertility and, and all of that has been a a real bitch to us. Um, it's something we still work through. I don't have probably good answers to that one. I would say we don't feel, a whole lot of shame or, or anything around that, fortunately. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I meant more like what's, I, uh, I, I have um, been different maybe. Yeah. Well, just, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how difficult that is on like so many different levels. Like I would imagine it bleeds into like y'all's sex life and y'all's relationship. And mm. you know, that's gotta like, I'm, my heart goes out for you is what I'm saying there. That's yeah. tough. No, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it really it does bleed into everything. Uh, we've been married for seven years now, and we've gone through a total of six miscarriages. So oh, we, uh, we, I don't know, I guess we kind of have it figured out a little bit in the sense of knowing how to, you know, care for each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it also, I mean, do the math, that's almost one a year. And it it's, it's just always kind of lingering there, you know, it doesn't ever fully go away. Um, recently my brother-in-law, which would be my wife's brother, uh, him and his wife had a baby, uh, which would be the first grandchild on either side for us. And, um, that's just wonderful. We, we really don't feel bad about that in any way, but it, it does kind of add this weird, like added thing that's always there, you know, yeah. um, we're, we're super thrilled for them. Couldn't be happier. Uh, but it, it's kind of a, uh, cognitive dissonance a little or something where you're like yeah and also what the fuck yeah where where's our baby or what's the deal here yeah yeah i i 
that stuff that stuff's very weird you know i yeah and it's all it's all yeah we're you know we i want kids we want kids probably gonna try in like a year or something i don't know or or whenever but i i went through where you know when i was 18 i you know um i don't even know i hate like the proper terminology for it but uh a girl had an abortion that was mine whatever mm. however you want to work oh, yeah, that. and so i that was another time when i was like oh what if like, you know, what if God's never going to give me one now because I did this thing and it was like, I had one and right. then I, I did what I did and you know, I fucked my chances and that's kind of, you know, so that's like a weird, and right. I know that's of course me talking to you right now. That's, that's not, that's crazy, but it's like, doesn't mean that those thoughts don't creep in and yes, just like, exactly. Just definitely talking about shame in regard to that. Right. So, yeah, you can, you can, internally know that it doesn't really work that way and that doesn't necessarily stop you from feeling like maybe it does though exactly it's like there's no matter yeah no matter how much i can look at the science there's that lingering like weird uh i guess there i guess there really are just certain things that are deeply ingrained in Mm -hmm. me as far as sin and like consequences of sin and what that means for the rest of my life or whatever but Right. But I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not like worried about if I also believe like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And that's, there's not much I can do about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, apparently there is something you can do if you want to have babies, but, uh, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, Um, I know what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. So what, um, yeah, keep it going. Uh, yeah. So from there, um, just kind of going chronologically, uh, some of the other things I talk about in the book and, and things that I experienced in life were at that point, it really shifts to being more like theological things, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, I suddenly, I, I, I'm basically deconstructing without knowing I'm deconstructing. I know that's a silly buzzword nowadays, but at the time, you know, I'm, I'm like questioning, okay, so how does prayer work then? Because it's not the same that I was taught to believe i was taught that if you have strong faith that you just ask for something and you get it and i'm like there's nothing more that my wife wants than to be a mom and i guarantee you she is sincerely praying for this and it's not happening mm-hmm. so i have to start questioning that and figuring out what i think of that and it, and it really once you like start to you know pull at one yarn it the whole thing unravels or or at least the way i was raised it's a house of cards um, yeah. so I have to start thinking about the Bible. I have to start everything. Yeah. That's, I was, I just got back from church this morning and it's, I can't, I don't know. I'm at a weird place with, with my faith. I think maybe not a weird place, but it's, I'm at that place where it's like, I can't turn off the criticism. And so like today it was, they were reading out of uh, Isaiah or Joshua, but it was basically about like them going into the land of um, the land of Canaan, which also, you know, he just glanced over the Nephilim part of that. Passage. So I really <laughs> I wanted to stand up guy. and be like, yo, you know, you're talking about giants here. Does everyone <laughs> here know that like you're talking about giants? Like that's not metaphor anyway. Um, but it was just about like how, like, you know, you just name it, claim it, you know, there's no mountain that'll stand against you. And like, uh, it, it, you know, it's like, 
does that apply? Is that talking about us in every situation, man? Like, I don't know, dude. And it like, I don't, I can't turn that off anymore. And like, I want like, there's that part of me that this just wants to shut the fuck up and have faith again. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I, maybe it's cause I've, I feel burned by it or I I don't know. It's like, I I don't, dude, I don't know how to practice my religion anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, I, I, like I so well, man. Yeah, I mean, where have you kind of landed with all that, or where are you at now? Yeah, so we okay. So I, I said I've been working on that book for like five years. Um, about ninety-five percent of it, we were really heavily involved at a church. My wife was on staff there. I volunteered with the youth group and stuff like that. And um, there are probably other factors aside as well, like personal ones and stuff like that. But the the process of the things I experienced in the last five years that go into this book are also relevant. And uh, we we stopped going like six months ago, and we don't have a church now. I, I don't know if we will. Um, why I, did you stop going? Do you remember why? Man, there's a hundred different reasons, and some of them are specific to that church, and some of them are more our beliefs evolving. Um, Give me a couple. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So uh, I think money is a relevant factor. Do I, do I want to give 10% of my income to a system that seems like it's built to self-sustain instead of actually changing people's lives? Like why wouldn't I just give money to the local homeless shelter or, you know, an organization that uh, helps, you know, single moms or, or whatever the thing is, you know? It seems like my 10%, like 98% of that is really just going to a building. That's what what bummed me out was I went to our Christmas Eve service, and at the end of it, they did an offering. And I was like, what, dude? Like, I don't know. Am I even wrong for thing? Is that, like, crazy? I, it didn't sit well with me. I was like... Did we really need to do that on Christmas Eve? Like, right, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, is that and it uh, and it was like at the end, it just felt kind of gross, man. Oh, really? I was like, what? Yeah. Why did you have to go and do that? But then I'm like, is, you know, whatever. I mean, I get it. I do get it. I don't know. I don't, we we just saw a man that like, and I think this is not unique to that church, but. It just seemed to be run like a business where you you do whatever is going to bring the most money. And we're not saying we're selling a product, but we are giving you something and hoping you'll give us money in return. And yeah, and, and I I get it, and it and it and it enables. I mean, I get it. Like you know, things cost money. Like yeah, you know, I, sure. I understand that. But yeah, it's I do have you know and. It is weird. I've always thought in it, you know, that like, why don't we, why don't we give money where it's directly needed in the, you know, cut out I, the middleman, right? Cut out the middleman. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, where is all the, you know, if we're donating X hundreds of thousands of dollars to this missions organization, like where's that going? And it very well, very well could be being used exactly as it's yeah. supposed to. I have no idea. So that's, you know, that's on, you know, if I really right. want to know, I guess I can figure it out, but it's, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's that, it's that, that standard church model. You know, we're not like, I'm certainly not trying to bag on my church or whatever. We're not, we're, we're super small and like we've only been around for six years and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not paying off a church building or anything like that. And it's, it's, 
but I can see it going in the direction of like every other church and like not, you know, the flowery emotional sermons and not, you know, just the, it's like, okay, what are we doing? Like, what are we really doing? Right. If we're not just, are we just making ourselves like, what are we doing? Yeah, totally. And there were other factors too, which you kind of brought up as fair questions on your side, like, okay, well, the sermons aren't really connecting with me anymore. I can find better sermons online if I really want to. Yeah. Um, you know, the church that we went to, it like exploded. It or blew up in terms of how many people were there. When we started, it was uh, maybe like 300 people or 400 people a Sunday. And by the time we left, it was like 2,000, um, which is... See, maybe uh, there should just be a cap on people. That's why, like... Yeah, and we're not when you said 400, I mean I think I think we top out at like I don't know 150, 200 max. Right. You know, we're we're still really small. But that's why I like like Francis Chan's model. It's like his mm. his thing he started. It's like when they get I think up to 30, you have to split up and go to another and house one. church thing is yeah. cool. And and maybe that might be the right answer in terms of what's next for us. We we haven't really landed there yet. Um but it it might be the house church model. I'm yeah. Because then, in my 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 self critique and my self pushback is, I can't argue that there are people that benefit from the megachurch thing. They, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. When I when I was in um, when I was in rehabs, you know, that was when whenever I was in a treatment center that would let us go to church, it would always be at like a megachurch, and they were always super welcoming, and right. we got to have coffee, and like we've gotten gifts donated to us. So like, I've I've personally been on the receiving end of megachurch's generosity and so like i'm not gonna say like they're all pieces of crap or whatever but it's maybe it is it's just like that's where i'm in the struggle of like okay is it me do i just need to change my attitude or is it really am i just trying to make it am i trying to fit a square peg in a round hole right right i don't know i think that's fair i think that there are some benefits to that model and like you said some people seem to genuinely live a better life because of it totally i I don't know that i'm that person anymore i don't either and it bums me out (laughs) (laughs) it's like i don't it's like i was talking to my mom about this and and it was like well you can go church shopping or whatever it's like oh that sounds awful you know what i'm saying like that sounds it's like nothing worse i'd rather just stay (laughs) yeah just stay where i'm at yeah for sure but yeah uh so i i you know just try to hit that head on with this book and, and just be like, Hey, let's talk about this stuff. Because I think that um, a lot of times the church system, whether it's intentional or just a byproduct of how it's designed, um, you know, people are afraid to ask those types of questions and uh, that can create its own sense of shame or, or maybe even guilt uh, or embarrassment because you're like, okay, I don't feel about prayer anymore the way that I was supposed to. I don't feel about, um, uh, you know, worship the way that you all around are experiencing this. I, I can't raise my hands anymore and, and just get in this zone because it doesn't do it for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Where, um, so do you, where are you at with it? Like today, what what are the things that are like, unshakable or what are the things that like what what does your spiritual practice like consist of 
Man, that's a tough question. Um, I know. That's why I love it. I ask everyone. <laughs> Mainly because I shop around to like compare and contrast. Like, right. How do, you, how do you experience God? Do you have like mm. a, a prayer regimen? Do you have quiet time? Do you read? Do you just like, what do you do? Yeah, no, totally fair. Um, I'll start out by saying that uh, a lot of the things that kind of capture my attention are not like, a lot of times people are like, wait, are you like Buddhist or something? Um, and, and I still do uh, call myself a Christian. I think there's something unique about especially Jesus. There's something that captures my attention the most about Christianity. Uh, but I do think that in terms of practices, um, uh, trying to be present, basically like kind of meditative type things, I'm not very good at it, but that seems to like calm my anxieties and um, make me feel the the most the closest to God, I guess. Um, those types of things where it's just like sitting in a quiet room and not being on my phone, not looking at anything, and yeah. just trying to to be there, you know, um, that seems to make the biggest difference for me. Um, I would say that. Um, concerts actually, if it's the right type of bands, is the closest closest worshipful experience I I would have. Um, I talk in my book about going to a Beartooth show, and you know I'm at this show. And uh, are you into Beartooth at all? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they have a, they have a song called "Beaten in Lips," which is about being abused at home, like kids being smacked around by their parents and stuff. And I I just had what I would call a worshipful experience where. I'm singing this song and I'm looking around and I didn't have that exact experience. The bullying I experienced was from my peers, um, but I'm there feeling what everybody else is feeling. And in a sense, I get this like communal vibe where I'm like, oh, we're dude. all saying the same thing, you know, I've done that's, that's so funny. That's another thing. I thought I was unique in that, but I've, I've, I will a ton of times in moments like that where I will like, I will literally be like, I'm offering this to you, you know, God. And I'm like, like yeah. capturing that moment and thanking him for it. And like literally trying to like co-opt everyone's praise and be like, this is for you. Like, and it, right. and I dude, I, you know, it's legitimate. Like I feel it. Mm -hmm. It's also concerts are an interesting thing because it makes you really realize how hardwired for praise and worship we are. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it is. It is like you really you, especially if you if you have like the um, wherewithal to just like stop and look around at like everyone having this thing where they're just like releasing their or casting their eyes and thoughts and whatever on this specific thing, and it's it's all going somewhere. I don't know. Right. It's a very cool thing. But yeah, yeah so I'm with you on that. Yeah, and I mean I've had. I, I would have always considered myself to be um, kind of stoic a little bit growing up. Like I always going through bullying and stuff like that. I was, I always compartmentalized my emotions mm -hmm. um, probably as like a, you know, protective measure. Um, but I've over the last probably four or five years, I've just found myself crying at like three or four different concerts, Beartooth, Emery, Silent Planet. And, yeah. and I'm almost like, not in the same way that I cover in the book, but I'm almost embarrassed or, or shy about that fact. And when I look back on it, though, I'm like, that's actually me just being me and not oh, thinking yeah. about it, you know? 
that's 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 about as pure living in the moment as you can get exactly you know it's about a, it's it's a literal gut uncontrolled reaction those are also to, and this this is like to those are also like my strongest evidence or pieces of evidence in support of like god and this mm-hmm. whole thing it's like you know what is that what is this like where does it come from what is this feeling and like why right. is it connecting and like especially with with crying at things that like catch you off guard right you know and i you know i'm like a student of psychology and therapy and all that and it's like it's it's not as readily explainable as they would like you to believe especially like with music that's like a, a really good example of some kind of spiritual thing that they're not quite sure where it came from and why it does the things that do it does and it's mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm real big on that of, of moments of transcendence, I guess is what it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And from there, I uh, let's see. You were originally asking about spiritual practices. Um, I don't really have a ton more that would be considered like a traditional spiritual practice. I don't read the Bible a whole lot. Uh, I, I'll read books about it, like PNs and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Bell had one a couple years ago, and Rachel Held Evans. Um, but I, you know, I've read the Bible beginning to end uh, probably about twice now. Um, definitely once intentionally all the way through. And um, I think the uh, Bible still has value. But the Bible, uh, one through five stars. Give me a review. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, man, I think a lot of it just comes down to how you're going to use it. You know, um, I think. I, I think I could effectively use it to that five-star rating. Totally. Uh, but I think that it can be misapplied, misunderstood, and and weaponized, you know, in yeah. the wrong hands. So it's yeah, it's a dangerous thing too, you know? I had I got into an argument on Imager, uh, you know, Imager, right? Or yeah. Reddit, yeah, yeah. About like this, because those, you know, the internet famously usually is – hates on anything to do with christianity and someone was just saying they were like oh the bible is just a book of fairy tales and i was like okay dude like uh you know i tried to sound as as non-christian as possible i was like you, you know it's pretty dismissive to call like one of the greatest literary works of all time a book of fairy tales right and i got downvoted to hell for oh that. i'm sure <laughs> oh but i was like whatever man that's just like right. you're just being dumb like any student of literature would you know what i'm saying it's like calling the iliad gibberish or something right yeah well and that's so my education is in creative writing so that probably helps me out in this way where i'm i'm like yeah we don't need to throw it all out let's just try to understand the genre of each book within the bible and that's really going to dictate how we should understand and read it we shouldn't try to understand the gospel accounts the same way we do revelation those are different genres uh, I, I don't know you and i may possibly disagree on some things um but all that just like I, I don't know where i land on the nephilim <laughs> but uh absolutely true right <laughs> but all that to say, I, i'm not i'm not i don't feel a need to just throw it away yeah 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 yeah. no and we'll yeah it's a whole nother topic <laughs> um well man this like flew by so i want to make sure um 
so wrap it up with so uh when's it coming out where people can get it and all that good stuff yeah yeah so once again it's called shame and unconventional memoir comes out february 11th uh the easiest way to find it will be on amazon uh you can also follow me on facebook um it's josh rogie writer w-r-i-t-e-r um and uh i've and by no means a famous person, but my name is spelled pretty uniquely. So you'll be able to find me all right. And uh, if you have any additional questions or anything, feel free to message me because I would love to have that conversation. Yep. And uh, Josh is in the congregation, so he will be available for questioning. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Josh. Well, thanks so much, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jed. I appreciate it. Have a good day. With the crackling walls and the ceiling cave Stay burning for a while.